Happy Wednesday and welcome back to this, the ultimate episode of the Into the Night Minute, a show where for the past, uh, gosh, 22 weeks, teams of uh, Movies by Minute uh, posts have been talking about the 1985 John Landis-directed comedy, action, <laughs> who knows what, uh, film Into the Night. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane, from the Apollo 13 Minute, the Rocketeer Minute, and the Airport Minute. And from Spinal Tap Minute and Groundhog Minute, I'm another one of your hosts, Sean German. And from Annihilation Minute, I'm another one of your hosts, Robert. And we have a special guest with us, writer, producer, and actor, Michael Zand. Hi, guys. And yep. we are, here we are. I, I have very, a disclaimer uh, first, Jim. Okay. I just want to get that out there since it's the last episode. Sure. I mixed up Michael and Bruce in Minute 26 repeatedly. Because I was going off one captioned photo of the four guys and didn't know who was who. Hey, as long as I get his residuals, I'm <laughs> fine with that. Uh, well, it, we, we, we can go back and fix it in the mix. It'll be, it'll be fine. <laughs> so, no, no worries. Uh, Michael, I've got a question. While, uh, while perusing your IMDb uh, entry, uh, did you get to pick your, your profile card? Because I, I don't know if I'd go with a default setting of, of having the one where you're stra- you have dynamite strapped to your chest. No, I don't. Um, they, it gets picked for me. And I suppose if I made an effort to get in there and, um, change it, I could, but, um, no, I, I did not pick that picture. <laughs> <laughs> really, really good at blowing self up. Um, yeah. But uh, one of the things I really wanted to want to talk about on, the, on this minute as we're finishing up is these are movies of the 80s, a lot of movies made about L.A., but, uh, you know, sadly, a lot of movies uh, with very disparaging stereotypes and uh, of which your character was one of them. I mean, it was it was oh, the yeah. decade of uh, Middle Eastern terrorism uh, in every every film. If you weren't if you weren't South African, you were Middle Eastern terrorist and. Uh, it's i wonder how what are your feelings of of having you know being cast in in those roles and and did did you question taking the roles no Uh, actually the only thing i turned down in uh when i was an actor were commercial uh cigarette commercials that that was one thing i never would do but um back when they still had them uh but uh no i was i was happy to get the gig i mean i was so desperate to work it was a lot harder as an ethnic person back then to get cast you could only get cast if the part was a ethnic person that that explained your reason for being there it's like the same problem black actors had you know they were always the black drug dealer or the or the um, uh, mexican gangbanger things like that so um, Hollywood has since broadened its horizons, and is, it's much better these days. I think I'd have a much better acting and writing career if I was younger and starting out today, because I think there's a lot more work, and there's a lot more uh, understanding and uh, open-mindedness about the roles uh, we can play. I mean, their their notion of what American is, and also the demographics of the population have, has changed, too. We are not predominantly a white country that consumes media anymore there's you know it, the films and tv shows represent the population more accurately these days 
how how often do you watch your own productions? I mean, do you yeah, never? Yeah. <laughs> uh, did Did you go to the premiere of Into the Night? Yes, I did. Uh, where, I did. Where was it at? Where, it remember? was at at the studio. I think it was at Universal at one of their theaters. Oh, okay. And then I went to the opening night with a bunch of my friends uh, and saw it with a with an audience, which was interesting. Wow did uh, did they know your ultimate demise in this when you when you went or were you just were you were mostly turning around and looking at them and seeing how they were going to react? I was just wondering. <laughs> uh, I don't really remember. Uh, um, it was it was. I don't really remember. It was a strange night. I was I was kind of having an out of body experience seeing myself up there and just and um, trying to reconcile what I thought it was going to look like with what it actually did. And um, I think I was. I wasn't pleased because I thought, oh, God, this is so, so sloppy. That's what the thing that bothered me the most, particularly the scenes uh, where we were improvising and the Farsi was being used. Because there's a lot of Iranians who live in Los Angeles and they were laughing at some of the stuff. But then they were also being thrown because the sentences were being cut off halfway and, and chopped. So they didn't make sense. Yeah. Um, that's why, for me, my favorite scene was my death scene because it was of a piece. It was a whole um, beginning, middle, and end that I could do as a performance. It was also interesting to shoot in the airport because nobody had been able to do that for a long time. Landis said that we were one of the few productions that got permission to do it. It was at the old PSA terminal, which was that airline that went out of is since long gone. Right. But shooting shooting down there was interesting, and uh, uh, I also got to see what uh, you know when certain stunts go wrong. Um, the shot where one of the black guys um, uh, gets shotgunned and gets uh, put shot into the wall, hurled right. backwards. Well, they put you on a ratchet, and it was a stunt guy for that. And it's like a that arm that's like a, um, a trebuchet that just yanks the actor back on a spring. And it yanked him back into the, into the wall so hard it he broke something. Oh. So oh. you can you can see how things <laughs> go wrong terribly too. And and I, I'm I'm assuming that you know just the production line you were filming the beginning and the end of the movie within days of each other there on the, on the airport proper. Mm, no, um, uh, we we weren't at the airport until the very end. Oh, okay, so 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 you were shooting the beginning of the movie at the at the end of the movie when you're. I mean, I'm assuming that you're doing the parking lot scene and the. Uh, no, that was shot. That was shot at the um, at a um, the uh, a shopping mall that's since been closed in um, in in the valley. It was a shopping mall parking lot. Oh, okay. Wow, uh, that that's another thing that isn't listed in IMDb. So it's interesting to find out the. The reality of some of yeah, the it was the um, the uh, gallery, something the um, uh, where was it, Canoga Park or something like that. Gallery right off the freeway. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think. You, 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 the only daytime sh- shooting that you actually had was the one the, was the time at Malibu, and that was right. It. Everything else was everything else was night. Uh, do you remember the shooting schedule? How how many weeks was it? It was let's see, six weeks. And you only had the well, you had the A costume except when you had the uh, the leg wound, and then you had a B a B leg. So you basically were, were in the same outfit for yeah six solid weeks. Exactly. Oof. Uh, yeah, it's not bad. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. you know, we had three of each, and um, 
you know, you're you're very well taken care of on a major film like that. You got wardrobe, you got hair, you got makeup. Everything is taken care of for you. You're like a coddled baby. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't a hardship at all. If you had the opportunity, knowing that you're, uh, n- n- you know, knowing what you know now, uh, would you have played it any different? No, I don't think so. There wasn't a lot of room. Um, I knew that was what the director wanted. He wanted that um, level of high energy performance, and I just tried to make it as real as possible without, you know, pointing, you know, without indicating that, haha, I'm in on the joke. So I, I, I guess looking back on it, I'm pleased with the performance, given the limitations of what was given. But um, I would have liked a. Um, a, perhaps a deeper part <laughs> with <laughs> yeah. a, a more fleshed out human being a name yeah w- were there uh I, I, as we've as we've been talking the past couple of days uh the, the constant uh impression is that it's mostly improv and i'm just thinking was there anything funny in this movie that wasn't improv i'm assuming that the uh the pistachio gag was was figured out on the set not in the script yeah that was actually landis's idea also, again, that's that's what I'm um, talking about with his um, predilection for shtick. Yeah. Um, the whole simultaneously getting the pistachio and eating it and putting it down. That's like Three Stooges stuff. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. like in Beverly Hills Cop 3 when Eddie Murphy's having a shootout in the amusement park with the bad guys. He gets up and shoots, and then he goes down behind the car. Then the bad guy gets up and shoots, and then he goes, it's like a rhythm that yeah. they're doing and that's the gag but then that totally destroys any semblance of reality that you might have that this is a really dangerous situation so when you've got four guys eating pistachios like that yeah it's funny it's a cheap laugh though it undermines the the reality of the movie yeah you might get a cheap laugh there and people go ha oh, that's funny look at these goofy guys but then what what's the film you're watching is it a real film noir or is it a, a slapstick comedy is it a Preston Sturgis screwball comedy yeah and he has the four of you bump into each other in the scene right before you murder someone in the ocean right that was the scene um in the in the malibu thing yeah Mm -hmm. that was totally three stooges yeah Mm -hmm. yeah busting up the emmy and things like it just corny little gags on on scene and like robert was saying yesterday about this being a film noir that it's it really might have worked better if it had been done completely film noir, that if there was a darker tone all the way through, like maybe how the original script was, that it didn't have a comedy element and that you'd be more threatening and it'd be more involving for the audience to say, this this isn't funny, this is, you know, this, this is serious business. I mean, you can have really great laughs in grim films. I'm trying to think of a good... Um a dark humor film where you never doubted that this was a dangerous real situation i'd go with the big the big sleep is like that i mean if you think about uh, bogart doing all the library gag but in the middle of it all you think canino's gonna try and kill him and and it's a real you know that's a really feel for him right you need a confident and skilled director to be able to trust the material that the humor will come from the incredible tension in the situation or the the drama that you you laugh because you're so nervous that you laugh not to to run away screaming scared that that's the kind of um like for example here's a good example in um french connection 
uh, Friedkin again, when <laughs> uh, when um, Gene Hackman is slapping the guy, saying, "Do you pick your toes in Poughkeepsie?" Okay, yeah, that's funny, but it's also horrific, you know, at, at the same time, and that's a that's a delicate balance that you need a director who trusts the material will provide him with that. Landis didn't have the confidence to trust the material that was in the original script, so he had to do these things which he knew for his films would get laughs. The shtick. Yeah. He had to put them in there because he didn't have the confidence that if they weren't there, his film wouldn't be any good. From a... I mean, I... At this point, I mean, the director, he is an auteur, and, he, you know, they kind of give him a free hand with the thing. Did you think the the, produ- the producers could have wrangled no, him in? This was a John Landis film from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he was a, he was a, he had a lot of big hits. I mean, Trading yeah. Places, um, this, and then Three Animal House. And all, yeah, yeah it, Animal it, House. So he, he had final cut on all his films back then. So nobody was going to rein him in or tell him what to do. And, you know, he was very arrogant. I mean, he I remember when we were shooting the um, Malibu scene and Mazursky was Mazursky's house, Paul Mazursky. And mm-hmm. they were trying to figure out something. Mazursky said, hey, what if we and, and Landis went, no, 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 no. Like he didn't want to hear from him. He was so threatened. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, Mazursky was, well, again, I don't blame him. You don't want to get get stepped on by another director but um it was very evident that he's nobody was going to tell him to do anything yeah the feeling i mean you know this is as as we all know this is post twilight zone was he trying for some kind of redemption as a you know this is going to show that i'm really i'm really more talented than than the twilight zone will let on but my mistakes there have been corrected um i really think that he was hoping this film would be uh, uh, an arty film noir cult film. No, uh, he, I said this is going to be a cult film, John. He said, I want it to be a cult film. I want it to be a hit. I said, well, okay. But <laughs> it's a cult film. Uh, now, uh, I think he wanted to be taken more seriously as a director, and this was his attempt at it. At the same time, you know, he was scared out of his wits because, you know, he was on trial for manslaughter mm-hmm. yeah. at the time. So there was that going on, too. It, I mean, it is it is a cult film. You were you were quite you were quite correct in that. Um, it, and how often? I mean, you you've, you've heard from people like us, but how often does this movie come up in conversation with you? Hardly ever. You're the first people who've ever <laughs> contacted me about it. So, sorry to say. <laughs> um, I mean, some people have seen it. You know, my friends or acquaintances. Oh yeah, I remember you in that. But no, it um, it's it's kind of it, it it's getting to have. I mean, I. Of all the stuff that I've done, I still get residuals from this more than any other film. So mm. I think my prediction came true. It, it is a cult film that is watched by a lot of people because it's really a, a snapshot in time of Los Angeles. It's kind of like a time capsule. Yeah. And also all these big-time directors, some of them who aren't with us anymore, like Mazursky and, and uh, Demi, um, it's kind of like a nostalgia piece, and J- yeah. David Bowie and Carl Perkins. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's, it's an amazing uh, moment in time when all this happened, and it is kind of a. I mean, like K- Kentucky Fried Movie was uh, the epitome of you know adult slapstick humor of the '70s, and this is kind of like the ultimate '80s action movie. Uh, 
you know, disastrous as it was, it kind of this this is is along every other trope of of eighties movies. Right, right, and it, it also dealt with you know all these rich Iranians coming into Los Angeles and buying up all the real estate and you know being super materialistic and yeah, there was it. it dealt with those and there is again every stereotype has a grain of truth in it and those were accurate in that respect how, how did this play in the iranian community i mean were you, did you get any feedback from anyone or um i was working with a very famous iranian director at the time um who hated it because he felt it um it uh cheapened and uh stereotyped iranians and i don't blame him in that respect but then I don't take things that seriously, and I'm not very prone to political correctness. That uh, I don't mind things being funny; they can be funny in their own time. Um, I, I, I think it just it was met with a sh- it, it didn't really generate controversy, and it also didn't generate adulation. Yeah, it's just another another thing that's on HBO every other right. every other week for a couple of months in '86. And- right. Right, exactly right. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's um, I, I at at the end of this, I mean, we've been through a uh, hundred and thirteen minutes now, and at the end of it, I still don't know how I feel about Into the Night. I like the movie. I do. I do like it, and I can, it's a watchable film. People who haven't seen it look at it and just kind of get puzzled and try to figure out where it fits in there. You know, <laughs> in the where do you rank this thing? I don't know. It, it's almost like in the middle of everything else. Yeah. Right. Um, one of the, one of the things that puzzled me, and, and I'm one of those people that hadn't seen this movie. I, I don't remember it from the '80s. I, I really wasn't aware of it until uh, Jim started up this podcast and, and said, "Hey, watch this movie and talk about it." And and one of the things that confused me is just kind of what like what's the movie about? It you start off as this sort of film noir um, jewel heist, and then towards the end. For the third hack, suddenly it's it's a real estate deal. Is sort of, I guess I, I guess I should have expected. So it seems like every movie in L.A. eventually becomes a, about real estate. Was there any discussion, um, you know, land, any discussion on the set, any talk from Landis about, um, you know, kind of about what what's the movie about in that respect? Is it, you know, was he thinking of it as a as a jewel heist? You know, how did the the real estate and the escrow thing play in? Like, was there any I mean, I know you've talked about the the, the script or, or lack thereof. Yeah, a, a narrative strategy, basically. Was there a narrative strategy or just? Um, if there was, it certainly wasn't discussed with me. But honestly, I think you put more thought into it than Landis did, <laughs> um, because you know you're questioning what the movie was about. That's a very good question. And and above that, what is the movie trying to say? I mean, ultimately, you gotta you gotta have point of view. You've got to tell um, a story that hopefully has some universal themes to it, like greed or or lust or survival. Um, but because there's no, the person behind it, the creative mind behind it, didn't pay any attention to that kind of stuff. He just thought making a story with these events in it strung together with these bits um, put together in this order would be a neat movie and uh, an homage to film noir or a film noir. I don't think Landis is not a deep person. He's very superficial. Mm-hmm. He's really into the whole, you know, being part of Hollywood. I mean, he had a million great stories about 
um, the films he'd done, and you know the uh, Blues Brothers, and this and that, and and he loved telling him, and 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 that was actually fun to be around. I loved yeah, I, listening to his stories. On on the uh, on the Blu-ray of this, he has uh, they they interview him, and he, he has a bunch of stories about how he had flown out to uh, to Colorado to try to convince Jack Nicholson to take over the uh, uh, the Ed Oaken role, and. Nicholson uh, got him all the way up to the middle of nowhere, uh, Colorado, in the snow, just to tell him why he wouldn't take the, take the job because he said he said the character doesn't grow and the character isn't the center of the story. He's kind of like uh, it, nothing nothing changes for the character. He was and, right. <laughs> yeah, it turns out Nicholson was you know prescient. He was um, right. I mean, well, I wouldn't do it if I were him. Thinking about, I mean, that was the role, uh, the old guy, right, uh, Michelle. Yeah. No, he was no, 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 no. Ed Oaken was uh, Jeff Goldblum. He oh, wanted, he wanted oh. Jack Nicholson to play the, Jeff Goldblum. He wanted part. Jack Nicholson to play Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Oh. I can't even imagine what that would be <laughs> like. Yeah, you I forgot mean, the character name. Um, that would be more like creepy old guy. On yeah. <laughs> That would have been... Well, I don't know. How old was no. Nicholson? Was well, his, he was... He was... He was... Forties? Yeah, late forties. Something like that. Well, the yeah, character this was supposed is, to be older. Yeah, he, he wanted him to be older, but he picked uh, Goldblum to be younger. So. You know, that would have been a really interesting film, but again, as written, I can see why Nicholson turned it down. Yeah. I because there, the character doesn't grow. What has he, what has he learned? Who, what has he learned from the time he saw his wife in bed with somebody and he took off because he couldn't sleep until the, the end of the movie? He just got taken along for this ride. He didn't change. He didn't... I guess he took control at the end, supposedly, uh, with my character and, and talked me into killing myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Although, yeah. Uh, your, was it you um, who said that you thought it was hilarious because he thought he'd been bored to death? I've been bored to death? <laughs> who was it that said that? Uh, yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> that, that was me, yeah. 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 Um, I actually, um, I hadn't thought of it that day, but I, uh, that way, but I'll... I'll go along with it but for me it was more um that there was a foreshadowing in that scene in the in the parking lot i was trying to get some kind of through line for my character mm -hmm. when we screw up the chase and we get out and i say here take the gun and shoot me yeah like there's this whole martyr complex that he's going on and that he wasn't going to be taken alive and he was gonna he was gonna go out in a, a blaze of glory yeah even if he's the one that had to pull the trigger so right um, right yeah, I mean it, it's it's weird, but it winds up being like the uh, the role from you know, Robert Hayes in Airplane, where he starts telling boring stories, and there's people pouring gasoline over yeah. themselves. And then you took the airplane out. I feel like yeah. Sean was trying to set me up to ask uh, my insane theory question about the movie, but oh, please do. <laughs> Why don't think Landis? What we're getting now is that Landis was deep enough to have done it. Oh, Landis, yeah, Landis didn't. Landis didn't know enough to to do. Yeah, <laughs> to do. Uh, Michael, my thing was I wrote a whole thing on Facebook about how this movie was a metaphor for AIDS. For AIDS. Yeah. Yeah. With, with Michelle Pfeiffer's character going from like man to man, who ends up dead because she got in contact with them. <laughs> and then ends at the Michelle's end. AIDS. <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind of makes sense because when. Uh, you know when they go visit Jack, the you know the, kind of the older friend of of Diana, yes, his blood's and gone he just bad. says, "Yeah, my blood's gone bad," which is yeah. big. You know, and, uh, and Hossie, and uh, they're all Hossie dead, and, 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 and it's always usually very bloody, and 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 then you get too close to her, Michael, and you die. And I get I get AIDS. 
and I killed myself. You know, I'll go with that, um, <laughs> even though it has nothing to do with the film. But yeah. I actually, that's more thought, again, that John Landis ever put into this film. <laughs> that's a very thoughtful analysis. <laughs> that's what breaking yeah. down a movie a minute at a time does. Yeah, yeah. yeah once, once, once you're on the, the 100, 113th hour of it, <laughs> it's very easy to start picking it apart. Yeah, you can find God in it, for all you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um. I mean, you're you're basically you're you're having a showdown at the end of the movie in the same place where uh, Dustin Hoffman began his movie in The Graduate, that that big long right hallway at LAX. Sean, where are you at the end of this movie? How do you feel? I I think I need to watch it again. So I I watched it beginning to end through before we started the podcast, and I've watched individual pieces and minutes here and there. I haven't yet sat down for a complete rewatch. I think it can be well, and, and I don't mind in, in what you're telling us, Michael. Is is we're bringing a lot more to it than <laughs> than apparently <laughs> Landis did, or at least expressed on the set. And I think that's okay. I think I, think, I do too. Yeah, I, I think you know, as as an artist, you need to sort of let things go once they're out in the public. It really belongs to the audience in a sense, and and how they interpret it, and and what they bring to the table. And there's a certain a certain nihilism. To, to Jeff Goldblum's character, the, that nothingness um, that, he, that he carries through the movie. And, you know, maybe that's, that's what your character is facing, Michael, in that, in that final scene where, you know, Jeff is just talking about the, the nothingness in his life. He can't sleep. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't seem particularly upset about his wife cheating on him. He's more puzzled than anything else. And he's just, you know, an, an absence of feeling, an absence of meaning in his life and then just faced with you know faced with an indifferent universe your character existential just existential angst yeah the existential <laughs> angst that your character just can't handle right. anymore and, and so um i'm trying to uh, who was it? i can't remember there was one philosopher who said the, the ultimate question of philosophy i wish i remember was it who, sartre who said it. um i don't think it was sartre but someone said the ultimate question was you know live or die there's there's a, a universe it's entirely indifferent to your existence and you have to your your first decision is live or die and then if you know if you decide you want to live then you can go on to the more complicated questions of how do you live and who do you live with and, and the other stuff or you go the other way and you and say the guy who wrote oh, the stranger yeah yeah that was camus oh camus, camus. yeah it might have been camus it was just you know so that's you know the fundamental question of philosophy do you live or do you die and that's sort of the the question that Jeff Goldblum is is asking, uh, you know, at, at that point in his life, and then you're there, and you're like, well, gee, that's a good question, and I think, you know, if, if living is this, if living is that guy, then I'm gonna I'm gonna go the other way with it. Yeah, I'm gonna I choose die. Yeah, yeah. yeah what, what you say is really true about film and art. I mean, really great films take on a life of their own after they're released so that they become so much more or have so many different interpretations as to what their meaning is after they go out. And some of those interpretations are vastly different from what the filmmaker intended. Mm-hmm. But yet, because there is a universality to the film, they, they sustain it. They can support those different meanings and interpretations. And I think what you've just suggested right now is a very thoughtful look at the existential angst of the main character in this movie. Unfortunately, from a writing point of view, and as a writer myself, existential angst 
does not make for good drama. It only, it, it's a very internal struggle. If you think about it, it's not visual, and it's a struggle between the man and himself. And that was if the choice, if that was the choice mm -hmm. Goldblum made, and he actually gave it that much thought, it did not help the film. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And, and, another, and I'm, I'm going to have to go back to another, I forget where I heard this, who said it, but uh, someone was talking about acting, and they said you don't want to, you don't want to get too far into your character. And the example they used is, is Hamlet. And it's, it, I think it's, it's apropos to that, that your final scene with, with Jeff Goldblum. Um, you know, that, that the, the famous soliloquy to be or not to be. Yeah. That, you know, at that moment, if the actor inha really inhabits the character and really is feeling those feelings and, and having that internal struggle, the actor will be mumbling to himself or herself. They're not going to be enunciate. You know, if, if you're on right. stage and you're in a production of Hamlet, you want to enunciate. You want the, the house to be able to hear you. You don't want a, an internal struggle. Right. So, yeah, there, there needs to be. Yeah, it, it's called acting. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not being, it's, it's acting. But it's also the different medium. I mean, you're talking about the medium of language when mm -hmm. you come to that kind of uh, scene with the to be or not to be scene in Hamlet. That's where you're there by agreement that you're going to experience these struggles through the language. But film being a visual medium, you can't. You don't have the time or interest for it for a character to express these struggles in language. It has to come out visually. Visually, right? And struggle between yeah, and it has to be um, through the drama and the struggle between the characters implied more. I mean, if you look at modern films, there's very little dialogue in most movies these days. Um, the the films that which have a lot of language are very rare. The other thing about this movie that I think hurt it, and as you said, you wanted to watch it again, um, is the pace. The pace of the movie is slow. Mm -hmm. So you've got this vignette happening, and then ba da ba da ba da, they go along, and then this violent thing happens, and they just go along. It doesn't have the dramatic structure where you're propelled to the end of every act by some struggle that then just gets worse as you get to the end of the act. It just kind of starts and stops a lot yeah it, it's like it's like sitting in a it's a small world you know, like in a boat you're just being yeah. you're, you're cruising by all these different scenes but nothing really affects the people involved i mean we're we go in one wall and out the other and, right and no, nothing has changed right being right. from la i actually kind of like that because we start with we get a traffic scene at the beginning of the movie and the movie is almost paced like life in la you have to drive across town to go do something, and then you do something really exciting. But then you have to drive across town to get to your next destination. Well, I think La La Land does it a lot better in its opening scene <laughs> than, than this film. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe if Landis had gone for a musical, it would pick up. Don't, don't give point, him any ideas. Your point is very well um, uh, established in La La Land about driving across town and, and in song and dance. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, it's never a good idea for, for any creatives to, to do uh, spec work, but uh, Michael, I've got to ask you as a screenwriter, where would you see the uh, uh, the opening of uh, Into the Night 2? What, what would happen with Ed and Diana? Or do we not care enough about them to know where they go after this? God, I don't I don't think we care. Yeah. That's, I, mean, I mean, do you think, does he drop her off at the airport and then goes home? Well, he doesn't have a car. He can't get her to the airport. <laughs> and there was no Uber back then. Yeah, um, that, that's the other. Again, 
you're pointing out one of the problems of the movie. If this was a really successful film and that we invested in the characters, we'd want to know what happens to them next. Now, like you said, you just want to go home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think if, if there's any any sort of sequel to, to pull out of this, and I don't think there is, but if there was, it may be maybe like one crazy night with Dan Aykroyd's character in Las Vegas, where we, we leave, um, you know, we leave Ed and, and Diana behind. You know what um, uh, succeeded brilliantly at, at what we're talking about here? And it was an 80s movie? After Hours. <laughs> Yeah, that that that's come up before, and it's it's one of my favorites. It's um, and and I think maybe some of it is his coast. I'm an East Coast guy. Robert, I know, is in yeah. is in L.A. Where yeah, After Hours, it's Scorsese. It's 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 a crazy night in New York versus L.A. So it's um, yeah, uh, yeah. And and and, and you could have done it in L.A. There's plenty of crazy stuff going on here. Um, I don't doubt it. Yeah, it, plenty. Uh, but it's just you needed um, a, a better script and a better director, but. In After Hours, um, which, again, the the danger is real, mm-hmm. but it's also hilariously funny and much funnier because the danger is real. I mean, when um, he goes and he first uh, meets, um, uh, what was his name, Rosanna Arquette in her apartment, and she's all sexy and hot, and then she breaks into tears and crying. Every guy I was with who saw it, we just started laughing hysterically because we've all been on that date we'd all been on that date with that girl in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. Um, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and crazier and crazier for him and that was a great script I mean I think that succeeds in every way that Into the Night fails right yeah well one of the things that you said um, or we've said about Into the Night is that the it, it's kind of all hanging on um, Jeff Goldblum and Michelle Pfeiffer and, and mainly Jeff Goldblum and that the, the characters around them aren't really built up. And I think that's an area where After Hours does much better. It's probably in the script and particularly um, the women. You mentioned Rosanna Arquette, and Linda Florentino, Terry Garr, Catherine oh, Hare. Like yeah. these are these are characters. They're they're you know, they come in and out of of the film and the main character's life, the protagonist's life. But, um, you know, talking about, uh, you know, what would the sequel be like? There's a, a dozen different characters we can follow off on their great wacky adventures going off of uh, After Hours. You also cared about Griffin Dunn in After Hours, you know, because you got all oh, mm-hmm. this poor guy, you know, how's he ever going to get home? It's just getting worse and worse for him. Um, the stakes kept getting raised for him. He kept getting put in more and more jeopardy mm-hmm. um, with with Jeff there was no tie-in into his humanity and also the other thing that was really missing that I don't know why they didn't think of it there was no sexual chemistry between him and Michelle there was it was just he was basically like her, her driver mm-hmm yeah, they were. They were both. Yeah, they're both like just sharing it. They were, they were car car sharing. That was about it. Right. It, it, exactly right. They were ride sharing, and so the, you need to invest in the characters that, on an emotional level. But if they they're not invested in each other, then why would the audience care? 
Yeah, I, I've always thought, I mean, we were talking, uh, I think it was yesterday, we were talking about how the original movie would have been ending with him getting the, you know, the 12 grand and, and that was it. And she was gone. Good, you know, femme fatale look. But if, if he had just from that point uh, taken a taxi home, climbed back into bed and put his arms behind his head so that we're back to where that, that opening scene was, it's kind of like if you remember the. Uh, oh, shit. Uh, I just, I'm sorry. I just remembered what the original ending was. Oh, okay. He does go home, and she opens, his wife opens the door, and she goes, where have you been? I've been worried. And he, he hugs her, and he goes, just, you know, something like, love me or hold me. Or, I need I need you. Or it was it was some something like that. It was yeah. where he falls in his arms of his wife and going, he wanted to connect with her. Oh, okay. That well, wasn't that... actually a very good ending either. Oh, no. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I keep thinking they could have made it a perfect circle by just having him climb back into bed in the middle of the night, and then uh, he's, you know, he's got his hands behind his behind his head like like we saw him in the opening scene, just pull the camera out. Uh, similar to the only thing I can think of is if you remember Christopher Walken when he was in the uh, the Weapon of Choice video, where he just he starts out the video where he's just sitting looking at the floor and there's a somebody vacuuming in the background in a hotel and then he gets up and starts flying around the room and then it ends with him you know landing back in the back in the chair and sitting down and back he's back where you started um i don't know if it would have <laughs> i mean it would have been a movie where you get up and you go huh but not not the kind of huh that you have at the end of this film already <laughs> mm-hmm. you know it's more like or oh, how about this or how about this ending he goes home to his wife. It's night, and the guy his wife is sleeping with is there. He just climbs into bed with them <laughs> <laughs> and goes to sleep next to them. Ah, uh, wow! Yeah, this, uh, I'd watch that. Film. <laughs> I'd watch that film, and I want to know sequel. what happens in the sequel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> into the night four. Wow! Uh, wow. Well, My- Michael, thank you so much for being here at the at the very end, like like you were in the movie. Thanks, and, and but not killing yourself. Thank you for for staying with us all, while while we while we chatted on and on. It was uh, my it, pleasure, guys. It was a lot of fun. It, it's been it's been a great ride on this film. Uh, I didn't know how it was going to how it was going to go, and I <laughs> I still don't know it, how it all turned. It went. We don't know how it went, but it went. Yeah, much like this film, like much, much like this film. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to thank all the hosts. Uh, I, I don't have time to name them all, but uh, but thank you all, and especially for for uh, certain people, including the ones on on this particular episode, uh, for coming back when we were running shy of of hosts. But uh, it's been a it's been a great experiment, and I'm glad a lot of people got to see this movie. If if you've been uh, staying with us and listening to all these episodes, and you still haven't seen the movie, I can quite recommend the uh, Shout Factory. Has a, has a great Blu-ray out with uh, interviews with uh, well they didn't get Michael Zan but they they did get uh, some guy named Jeff Goldblum and, and another one named John Landis who who talk a little bit on the extra features uh, and uh, it it is a great film and I, I can suggest getting it on Blu-ray it's available wherever fine Blu-rays are sold um, but thank you everybody for being with us now this is a uh, minute one thirteen the movie does go to one fifteen I usually do this on our special takes just in case anybody else that uh, we get in touch with that wants to talk about the movie and we still have room on the on the minutes uh, I'll leave them open so don't uh, don't drop us off your uh, your list of podcasts um, but uh, we may be back in the future with with other other guests or other discussions about the film again thank you all for being with us if you'd like to reach out to us in these end times uh, we're always available on well we will for a while on uh, social media at the uh, King Lives Listeners Limo and uh, you can find us on the big site 
at uh, nightminute.com for all the previous episodes and, of course, on Twitter at Night Minute. Uh, and, you know, always find us on any of the regular podcasting channels like uh, Apple Podcasts or uh, Google Play or Spotify. There will always be out there, and I'll, I'll try to keep them up as long as we can. Uh, again, thank you for joining us, uh, and now's your time to go back and listen to Episode 1 in case you want to get get a better, deeper understanding of yourself. But, uh, thanks for being with us, and uh, maybe we'll see you next time here on the Into the Night Minute. Thank you! Now, fellas, I said fellas, now listen, I know that we like to do the slow ones like we just finished, but then every once in a while we like to do something where you shake your boogie a little bit. You know, I know, I know somebody said, well, B.B. King don't shake his boogie. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I can shake my boogie like everybody else do. Now this one is called Into the Night. You want to get with me on it? All right. That's all right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Cold in a quicksand. Starting to sink. So tired of struggling that my mind can barely think. Don't know where I'm going. Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. Fuel supplies finished. Ain't nothing left to burn I need someone to help me But I don't know which way to turn I know I don't have much of a choice I'll go out of my mind I into the night What's the matter? Hey, I don't know what to say. People all around me, but I'm so alone. I guess they'd like to help me, but I have to do it on my own. I know I don't have much of a choice. I'll go out of my